Now, some people might be wondering, okay, Pastor James, it's Christmas season. You should try to go to like a more traditional Christmas sermon and talk about the birth of Jesus, you know, angels singing, something happy, right? And you kind of notice that last week, this week, the passages are quite heavy. And, and, and one reason why I, I decided to just continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke is because Luke chapter 11 and especially chapter 12 is all about discipleship in light of the return of Jesus. The word Advent, we often call this season Advent, which comes from the Latin word coming. That's what it means. Uh, so we remember that Jesus came the first time as a baby uh, with humility uh, to save us as the humble king, but also we remember that he will return. He's coming again, just like it says in the book of Revelation, that when he returns this time, he won't be the humble king. He will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to save his people. He's going to make all things right that the end is near. And so Luke chapter 12 is all about discipleship in light of the end. Discipleship in light of Jesus's return. And how can we live as true disciples in the midst of a world that doesn't really seem to understand that Jesus is returning? That's kind of the main thing. Jesus knows that it's not easy to live as true disciples. He is aware that following Jesus is not an easy task. He even acknowledges this, this problem in this, in this passage several times. He understands that there's pressure and danger when it comes to following Jesus. Even last week, we talked about, we talked about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, how they were people who were only concerned about what's on the outside uh, rather than what's on the inside. They were deceiving, misleading. And what we see in today's passage in verse 1 is this. Jesus tells his disciples, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So the leaven, the yeast of the, the, the Pharisees, in other words, the small amount of hypocrisy can, can impact the entire nation, can impact this people group. It's, it's like if you have a small amount of yeast when in the dough, you bake it and it impacts the entire bread. In the same way, be aware, if you are not aware of the hypocrisy that exists in society among the religious people, the quote-unquote leaders of society, then you too will follow their footsteps. You're not free from the sin of hypocrisy. You have a tendency to hide. I think that's what he's saying in today's passage. He's aware of the pressure that exists uh, on the believers to hide and to cover up our, our faith. That's why Jesus says, hey, if you have light in yourselves, don't just hide it under a bowl. Put it on top where people can see. Don't hide the light of Christ in you. So he's aware of that pressure, and he says that in verse 2, just be aware that there will come a day when nothing is covered up that will be revealed, that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now that is a scary statement. When Jesus says that there will come a day where everything will be revealed, that means that God is aware of all that we have said, all that we have done, every dirty secret we have in our lives. God says, I know it all. And one day, you might be hiding behind the, the umbrella of religion, behind the umbrella of your self-righteousness. One day, your flaws will be exposed. 
Jesus is aware of the pressure that exists among the disciples to live in hypocrisy. And so he says, be, just be aware that you just can't hide for eternity. That one day that you will have to confront God in your sin. And it's not just the, the danger of hypocrisy, but it's really the danger of, of, of being killed or, or hurt. It says in Luke 11, just the previous chapter at the end, after Jesus gave this incredible speech about hypocrisy, how did the religious leaders respond? Well, it says that as he, Jesus, in verse 53 of chapter 11, as he, Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him, to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So instead of repenting, instead of trusting in Jesus, their decision was to reject Jesus. Their decision was, I would rather kill Jesus, destroy Jesus, than destroy the sin that exists in me and the hypocrisy that I see. Like, I would rather get rid of Jesus than get rid of my, uh, my, my sins. And so what we see is that there's real temptations and danger. Um, and in the midst of this broken world, fallen world, that's not easy for disciples to live in. This is the message that Jesus shares today. Despite all the pressure, despite all the danger, don't be afraid to be a disciple. That's the message that Jesus is sharing to his disciples today. Don't be afraid. It says in verse 4, do not fear. It says in verse 7, fear not. It says in verse 11, do not fear. Be anxious. The word fear is repeated time and time again. Why? Because there's a lot to be afraid of in this world. There's a lot of things that are constantly forcing us to, to pressuring us to be conformed to this world rather than to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I don't know about you, but um, I'm pretty good with people. I, I, I love talking to people, but for some reason, when it's time for me to talk about Jesus to people, I kind of get nervous. Like, despite knowing the gospel, despite teaching people about how to do evangelism, I still get kind of nervous when I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a stranger or talking to even someone that I know, like a family member. Like, I'm, I'm worried how they will respond to me. I'm worried how they view me after this conversation. I get really nervous in that. I, I get nervous when I'm... I'm not just sharing the gospel with, I'm sharing something about God's word. If I see something in someone else's life, a brother or sister's life, I kind of get nervous when I have to speak what is true. Like, I'm, I'm totally okay sharing my own opinion. Like, that's totally fine. I, I don't get nervous about that. But for some reason, when I'm trying to live out my faith and be a witness for Jesus Christ, to represent God's word and be a true disciple, it's, there are times when it's kind of scary even as a pastor, maybe you're a more faithful disciple than me, but I think the reason why Jesus is reminding his disciples at this moment is this. He is aware that fear is going to be a real issue moving forward. It's going to be a real issue. Just read the book of Acts and just think about how many times the, the believers were just there behind closed doors, like not exercising their faith because they were simply scared. Like, it constantly had to be reminded, hey, be courageous, don't be afraid. I think it's because there are things in this world that, we, that, that scares us. I think that is absolutely true. So Jesus is speaking of a world that is full of danger, that is full of hypocrisy, 
Um, and we often are influenced by this world, especially by people. And in the midst of this world, Jesus is reminding us today that we ought to fear God above all else. That's the main idea, really simple today. We need to fear God above all else. If we are fearing other things, especially other people, then we can experience the fullness of following Jesus, the joy and, 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 and the satisfaction that comes with following Jesus. We will never get to experience that if we're constantly afraid of people rather than God. So fear God above all else. And I just want to give you a couple of reasons why we ought to do that. Number one is this. We should fear God above all else because he is the ultimate judge. Because he is the ultimate judge. It says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. In other words, Jesus is, is, is not saying that, hey, if you become a disciple, like you're going to be safe, you're going to be secure, like your life will be complete and, and, and it, free of trouble. No, he says actually dying is a possibility when you follow Jesus. He says, like, do not fear those who can kill the body. That means there are people who can kill your body. And we live in a country where, you know, often we don't really understand the weight of this statement because, yes, we might be rebuked or, you know, rejected because of our faith, but losing our life not really doesn't, doesn't seem like that's really, you know, a possibility for us. You know, sometimes when we see shooting in, uh, in different places, and you know, we imagine ourselves in this scenario where if someone put a gun to my head and asked me, are you a follower of Jesus, how would I respond? Maybe there, that's, there's a hypothetical scenario that we might think, but we don't really live day to day with the pressure and the tension thinking that someone is going to take our lives just because we are a Christian. Well, I was talking to Pastor Deva, you know, who spoke to us a couple of weeks ago, and he was sharing how specifically there are groups that are targeting Christian communities that, that are doing just, just, just horrible things against especially women and children just to discourage these, these Christians from following Jesus Christ. You know, when I was in Egypt, I remember there was a mosque that I often went to. It's in the city center of Cairo, uh, which is the capital city, El Hazar Mosque. It's a really, really popular mosque in Egypt. I just remember just sitting in the mosque because uh, it's open to tourists. Uh, and I'm just praying, praying for the people there. And there's a lot of shops around that area, so there's a lot of tourists uh, who come. And so I would go there quite often. Even my off days, I'll go to pray. I remember the day before we were about to return to Switzerland, like the day before we were going to get on a flight, I checked the news, um, and that day, by the way, uh, because it was our last day, our, we were planning, our team was planning to get souvenirs, you know, different things for our families and friends before we would leave Egypt, and I see the news, and, and we're told that there's a bombing that took place uh, in that mosque, right in front of that mosque against tourists, which made me wonder, for three months, I've been in Cairo, Egypt, and, and, and any other day, like when I was at the mosque, when our team was doing stuff in front of the mosque, like easily, like we're a bunch of, 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 of people, tourists, like people don't look like Egyptians. So like people, it's obvious that we're from another country and easily that could have happened to us. And that's when I realized that this is the reality that a lot of our brothers and sisters live in today under the threat, under the danger. Um, it's not just foreigners, but there are times when family members would literally, you know, 
kill people because they made a decision to follow Jesus in the Muslim circle, like because they have dishonored the family. And so that is a reality. But I don't think Jesus is just talking about death. Uh, I think he's using that example as the extreme case. I think what he's trying to say is this. There are real threats when you follow Jesus Christ. For us, maybe it might not be losing our life, but it could be losing our job because we want to stand up for what God's words represent. It might be losing some financial gain because we want to honor God and do what is right in God's eyes. It might be losing our reputation because we care about how God is represented and how Christ is known among these nations uh, rather than our own reputation. It might be losing your time and comfort that might happen when you follow Jesus, and it does happen. Just how many times have you, ha, have you wondered if you should pick up a phone call uh, or you should connect with this person in need because you are afraid that it's going to take too much of your time or too much of your energy or too much of your effort? So often, although it might not be physical threats to the point of death, we are threatened in many ways because of our faith. Simply because we follow Jesus Christ, there is a price that we need to pay in this world because we live in a world that's not as friendly to Christ's followers. Some people, you know, I think we, we don't fully acknowledge Jesus uh, sometimes because we don't want other people to keep us to that high standard. Uh, we don't want to represent Christ because we feel like, okay, then they're going to judge us differently. They're going to always say Christians should do this, Christians do that. So I would rather kind of stay under the radar, not reveal my true identity. And do you see the connection here? When you are driven by fear of men, you are led to hypocrisy. Because the more and more danger that you feel, the natural tendency is to hide, to cover up. And what Jesus says in today's passage is this, just remember that the worst that those people can do to you is take your life. And that might sound terrible, but he says there's something even more scary than taking your life. It's taking your life for eternity. Like God's judgment is more scary than anything that these people can do for you. In the spectrum of eternity, yes, people can hurt you. Yes, people can harm you. Yes, those things can hurt your feelings and hurt your emotions and impact your life. But in the scale of eternity, the impact that God has upon your life is far greater than any human being can have upon you. I think that's the point that he's trying to make. And so he says in verse 5, but I'll warn you whom to fear. So he just said, hey, don't fear the person who can kill your body but, um, but can't do anything else. In fact, in, in Matthew 10, he says, don't fear the person who can kill your body but not kill your soul. That's what he says. Uh, so he's saying that there's something that people can take away from you, the physical things, but they can't take away your soul, your spirit. But in verse 5, it says, but I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And who is him? It's God. Jesus is telling us, you know, we ought to fear God above all else. Why? Because not only does he have power over life and death, but he has the authority to cast people into hell. And this is a rare occasion that you're going to see the word literally hell in the Gospels. And you might think, okay, this is something I don't want to talk about. Because uh, hell, you know, in the, even in the Christian circle, is something that we just 
makes us uncomfortable. We don't talk about it. We want to talk about love. We want to talk about heaven, all the good stuff, and, and we want to kind of promote like what is good about God and not talk about the danger of going to hell. But here's why hell is super important for the Christian faith. If hell does not exist, if the final judgment does not exist, that means our God is okay with evil. That means our God is okay with sin. How often do you hear the news or do you experience in your personal life that you wish God will somehow step into this this situation of injustice? That God will somehow deal with the evil that you're experiencing? Like we feel that all the time, that we wish that God will serve justice. And, And the reason why God can withhold from his anger at this moment, the reason why it seems like God is being so patient when it comes to our sin and the sin around us is because there is a final judgment. When God says, I will judge the living and the dead. When God says, I'll make everything that's wrong right. That is good news for the victim. You know why? Because it means that you have a a judge that's not gonna just ignore your case. But he's, he's, this judge is going to make the right decision, do what's right. This is good news for the victim, but it's also bad news for the villain. Because it means that you might have been able to hide and get away from what you did to someone else in this life, but you won't have that luxury when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God is the ultimate judge, therefore we ought to fear him above all things. The fact that Jesus says God has the ability and the power and the authority to cast people into hell is actually a good news because he is saying that he is willing to deal with evil and injustice in this world. And the reason why we kind of get scared about that is this, because we know that it's not just sin that exists in this world, it's sin that exists in our hearts. That's what makes things really, really scary. You know, we can talk about how we want God to deal with the evil around us, but we want him to stop when it comes to evil inside of us. And that's where we're kind of torn, right? Because we love the fact that God is the ultimate judge when it comes to others, but we're kind of scared when, it, when we have to stand before him. And so the fact that God is the ultimate judge, it's, it's hopeful, it's comforting for the victim, but it's scary for the villain. And the hard truth is that every person is kind of like a victim and a villain, that no one is one or the other, that we have all been wronged at the same time. We have all wronged someone else, but more importantly, that we have sinned before the living God. God says you're both. And so God is the ultimate judge. So more than other people and their opinions and what they can do to us, we should be aware of what God can do to us how he has ultimate authority, how he is ultimately holy, and he is the only being in this universe who has, who has the right to judge us in a way that's actually fair and good and righteous. And so God is the ultimate judge, and therefore we should fear God above all. Um, second point is this. God, he is also the one who intimately cares for us. That's why we should fear God above all. Like, we should fear God above all because he is not only the ultimate judge, but he intimately cares for us. It says in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? 
and not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one of them is forgotten before God. Now, sparrows were like the cheapest birds that you can buy in the market. And so Jesus is using this analogy to describe how God, he's aware of even these sparrows. These cheap birds that most people neglect. These birds that seem to have no value. God of the universe cares about these birds. He's committed to these birds. And how much more then? If God cares for these creatures who seem so insignificant, how much more would God remember his people and his promises and care for those that he loves? He's going to take care of his disciples, his followers. And so what God is reminding us is this, because a lot of times the reason why we are afraid of people is because we are afraid that when we honor God and not honor people, that somehow our life is going to be in danger financially, relationally, somehow it's going to impact our life and we're going to suffer as a result. God says no. God knows everything. And he is aware of you. He loves you, but he intimately knows you. It says in verse 7, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. You're more value than many sparrows. God even knows the number of your hair. That, that's an amazing thought because we don't know that. And God says, I know you better than yourself. I know everything about you. You know, sometimes we wonder, like, as we're following Jesus, that no one is recognizing my faithfulness. No one is recognizing the heart, the, the hours that I put in, the way that I'm trying to serve a brother and sister, that the, 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 all those nights that I pray before God in tears, wanting this person to come to know Jesus, and, and God is saying, I know that. If I know the numbers of your hair, don't you think I know all that you have done for my kingdom? Like, don't you think I know th- those nights that you prayed before me, the effort that you made to bring this person? I know that. You can trust and rest in my goodness and my care. I think that's, that's so comforting a lot of times because we sometimes feel like we have to put on a show, a performance somehow to be accepted by others, praised by others, because we are afraid how, how if we, people don't recognize who we are and what we have done, that, that somehow it's going to impact our lives. And God says, no, I see everything in you. So you don't have to fear what other people see. I see everything. And so fear not. You are more valuable the many sparrows, and, and, and God says this in verse 8, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And again, this kind of reminds you of how Jesus himself, he's alluding to himself as the son of man, which is a reference that comes from Daniel chapter 7, this vision that Daniel sees about this man coming from the clouds of heaven. He's, he's sent by the ancient of days, and this one that's like the son of man establishes an everlasting kingdom among the nations. And Jesus is using this title to refer to the fact that not only is God the ultimate judge, but he is also the ultimate king. So that's the third point. The reason why we should fear God above all else is because he is the ultimate king. Jesus is the ultimate king. He's saying, I'm he. Like, like if he is the king, then, then we should fear him above all things. He's the one 
that has power over our lives. He has rule and authority over our lives. And the promise is that if we acknowledge him before people, that he is going to acknowledge us before the angels. That's, that's incredible. Like one day you will stand before God and the counsel of his angels. And, and it says that Jesus, the ultimate king, he will acknowledge you. And so the fourth point I want to make is this. We should fear God above all else because Jesus, he's our advocate who is standing on our defense. He's our advocate. Not only is the ultimate king, he's our advocate who's standing on our defense because we stand before the ultimate judge who knows all our sin, who knows everything. How in the world do we think we're going to survive that judgment? Well, we have good news because, yes, God is the judge, but we also happen to be, have a pretty good lawyer in Jesus Christ. And he speaks on our behalf. He's the one who, who says in that moment when we are fully exposed, when we are guilty before God, he's the one who steps in between. It says in Revelation 12, he's the one, as the enemy, the devil, will accuse us of our sins, he's the one who's going to be our advocate, stand in our defense, make a plea. He's going to say, because of what I have done, all that I have done, because the sacrifice that I have made, you should acknowledge this man. Not because anything that this person done in his life, but simply because of what I have done for this person. And so if you acknowledge Jesus before man, the promise is that God will acknowledge you. Jesus will acknowledge you before God's ultimate throne of judgment. So we should fear God above all else. Number five is this. We should fear God above all else because the Holy Spirit is our, our ultimate witness. Because the Holy Spirit is our ultimate witness. It says in verse 10, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, this is super strange, right? Because, I mean, wouldn't it have to say that anyone who speaks for the Son of Man will be forgiven? But it actually says anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, against Jesus, will be forgiven. Those who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be free. So what's the difference? It's, it's like you can, you can curse about Jesus and, 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 and belittle Jesus and, and slander Jesus' name, but you can't do that with the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus trying to say? And I think um, a, a parallel passage in Mark 3 gives us some light. Uh, it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, Jesus speaking, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. In other words, Jesus is saying this. I'm willing to forgive people who speak bad about me. And he actually did, right, on the cross. Looking at the people who were nailing him to the cross, who were mocking him. Like he looked at them, and what did he pray? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He's not just willing. He actually forgave people who spoke against him. But we also see that when you reject and deny the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no more forgiveness for you. There's one sin that God cannot forgive. It's, it's speaking, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And the reason why that's so critical is this. The Holy Spirit is the helper that God has, God has sent in John chapter 16 to convict our sins, 
to bring awareness to this coming judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who opens our eyes to that reality and constantly convicting people of this coming judgment so, so that people can, can understand the nature of their sin and in return uh, understand the urgency that they have to follow Jesus. So the Holy Spirit convicts of our, our sins, but he also points us to Jesus Christ. And in John 3, it says that apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot be born again. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks, hey, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, one must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how do you be born again? Well, it's only through the Spirit of God that you're born again. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself, but one thing that we do know is no one comes to Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says this, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Some of you might think, well, I'm thankful that I had, a great, uh, had great parents, I had great churches, um, pastors, leaders in my life that I could s- understand the gospel and articulate the gospel and believe in the gospel, and that is absolutely true. But the main reason why you can say that Jesus is Lord and you confess your sins before Jesus and be saved is because the Holy Spirit is working in you. That's the main reason. It's by God's grace that we are saved. God works through the Holy Spirit and through other people. And what it says here is this. You can be forgiven with all the other sins, but if you deny God, reject God. And I think it's not talking about this one-time rejection because we know that if that's the case, then Peter would not be in heaven because Peter, he denied Jesus three times. I don't think it's talking about how many times you rejected. It's talking about this continual rejection. It's this picture where you are hardening your heart, that you don't want to do anything with God. This is what it looks like to to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is reminding you through God's word, even today, speaking into your life, saying that, hey, your life ought to be completely centered around Jesus Christ. You're aware of his word. You're aware of your sin. You're aware how God is inviting you to live a life that's completely Uh, dependent on his grace, you're aware of all these things, exposed to the truth, and yet you go home and say, well, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't want to do it. Like, you're aware of all those things, but you bluntly walk away from God. And this continual, intentional rejection of the gospel, of the work of the Holy Spirit, I think is the sin that Jesus is describing in today's passage. If you reject, 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 harden your heart, then you're alone when it comes to standing before the judgment seat of God. And so don't make that mistake. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate witness. He's the final witness. And Jesus is inviting us to believe through the work of the Holy Spirit that we should fear God because it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. And the last one is this, because the Holy Spirit is our present help in trouble time. The Holy Spirit is our present help in trouble time. The reason why you and I can care more about God than other people when it comes to trouble and persecution, it says, it says in verse 11 and 12, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So sometimes we are concerned about facing, you know, 
confrontation with other people or facing an uncomfortable situation when it comes to our relationships. And what God says is this, if you are willing to honor God in all circumstances, honor him and recognize him and acknowledge him, just know that the Holy Spirit is going to give you wisdom on how to speak or how to handle yourself. And he's going to take care of you. He's saying that, hey, if you are willing to stand up for me, that I'm willing to take care of you. The Holy Spirit is our present help. He will teach us what to say and how to say. So because God is our ultimate judge who loves us dearly, knows us intimately, because Jesus is our ultimate king who also happens to be our advocate who stands in our defense in the midst of sin, because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate revealing of God's will, he's the witness and also he's the present help in in times of trouble we can fear God above all things that we can look at him and not care about other things I think fearing God the reason why this is such a big deal is this God knows that what you fear controls your life and he's saying this you don't have to have these insignificant other things or other people control your life you can live under the control under the rule and the reign of this loving God who loves you deeply, cares for you, and he's willing to lead you and guide you. Now, what's left is a decision. Like hearing this message, you and I, we can reject this message and continue to live in fear and care about what other people think about us and care about our own reputation, worry about what what price we need to pay for Jesus Christ and end up never living out our faith, or we can walk in repentance. And we can say, God, I've been a hypocrite, that I've been covering up my faith. But I think it's time to come out. It's time to put the light where everyone can see. Like, I don't want to be afraid anymore. Give me boldness so that I can live out the gospel, the reality, first in my family, among my friends, in my workplace, and wherever I go. Let's be a true disciple, not a hiding hypocrite. Amen? Let's pray.